test, test, one, two, three. You know who I be. It's your boy, Don Wall, a.k.a. Moral SP. Welcome to Embrace Matters of Race podcast. I'm joined here by the rest of the squad, Kelly Jane, Jay, and the homie Carl. Let's do what we do best. Let's embrace. We have a special episode for y'all today. A special guest is joining us from the messy middle, my main man. Noah Mata. What's up, man? Make, make it welcome, man. Welcome. What's up, man? Oh, my goodness. Make yourself uh, at home. Grateful, grateful. I, You know, what's great is I, I am at home. So I, you know, both, <laughs> both, both in my mind and in my physical disposition. So yeah, nah, you look great. comfortable. <laughs> grateful to be here, guys. Thank you for having me. Most definitely. So um, it actually took us a while to to do this, but for good reason, because we wanted to make sure that we attack this subject matter uh with reverence and respect and just care like we really wanted to make sure that it was impactful as well instead of just kind of glossing over things um we wanted to talk about uh culture that isn't represented with the four of us like i'm african-american carl's african-american kelly jane and jay are not (laughs) that's all we got we are white yes we oh, all, I didn't want to. I was scared to say it, Jay. So you said it for us. Quite. You don't have um, to be scared to say it. It's all right, bro. Uh, it's all right, man. I've said it before. I'll say they're it. At, they're at a different barbecue. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We don't. We don't yes. with another spice. <laughs> spice. Uh, we don't have any Asian Americans here on the show, so uh, it's super important to have uh, Noah here with us. And of course, it is also Asian American. Pacific Islander Heritage Month, which I just learned about. It started off as a week, and then it grew into a month, is the month of May, S- similar to Black History Month, where it started out with just a week, and then it grew into a whole month. If you're out there, make sure that during this month you uh, you learn something. Hopefully you learn something from this uh, this show today. But uh, the, the months leading up to May, from January to now, There's been a string of murders and bigotry and all types of hate uh, that's been targeting the Asian American community. And it gave birth to a movement called Stop Asian Hate or hashtag Stop Asian Hate or Stop AAPI Hate. Um, It's a whole movement. And it started with a man named... I'm going to I'm going to slaughter this but a man named uh Vicha Vicha R I'm going to say that cuz I can't pronounce his last name but he was a Thai American man who died after being forcefully pushed to the ground in a daylight attack in San Francisco, California. So that was the first this year. Wow. Um that kind of sparked the movement. And then um unfortunately we had an outburst of hate towards Asian Americans because of the coronavirus that's hit the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so they've been in our country and here in America, they've been blamed for it. And then as well, uh, unfortunately, the shootings in Atlanta mm-hmm. was a mass shooting that occurred at three spas or massage parlors yeah. um, in metropolitan Atlanta, Georgia in which eight people were killed, six of whom were Asian American women. And the list goes on of how much stuff is happening, how much hate is being tossed around. Um, and it's almost just like it's, it's just normal. Um, but stuff like this should never be normal. 
but it's, it's important to be educated and it's important to, um, to really talk to people, talk to your neighbors. And that's what we do here on this podcast, Embrace Matters of Race. Uh, we've dedicated our, ourselves to looking into the interests of other people. And we're going to lead by example by doing such that. We're going to talk to my man, Noah. Uh, we're going to learn about his life, learn about his trials and tribulations and uh, just how he grew up and how he sees things now and, um, you know, what he does to help and, you know, how he copes with it and all of that. And hopefully that we can all learn um, from people that are different from us. So, um, Noah. My man. Um, my man. Um, first off, uh, tell us about you. you have a podcast as well, The Messy Middle. Um can you start off with just telling us about the, uh, you know, plug? I'll give you a plug, bro. Here you go. Yeah, man. <laughs> uh, one, I, I'm so grateful for what you guys are doing. Even the visual of embracing, uh, man, uh, I don't know about you guys, but if there's one thing I miss most during the pandemic is giving each other hugs, man. I, I'm a hugger, full frontal, no side hugs here. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, spicy. I know. I know. Um, but um, yeah, well, so the messy middle started basically. Uh, the idea started um, marinating when I had a conversation with a uh, a, a minister that I respect very dearly, who's done a lot of work with really trying to help disciples navigate uh, the conversation of race um, in a godly way, but also in an honest way, and. Um, it was at a time I, I just I, I was uh, a minister in Philly um, working with high school ministries. And I just drove out to him. He was about three hours away. And um, I had this dream on my heart. I wanted to go back to the Philippines, serve my people. That's where my, my family's from. And uh, one com- the conversation, I'll never forget it. But basically, he was like, you know what? You're you're probably needed in the Philippines. But actually, I think you're more needed here. And uh, I was like, what do you mean? He's like, can you can you tell me, name uh, the amount of church leaders that look like you and represent your culture uh, mm-hmm. in our country? And I was only able to name maybe a couple or a few. And he's like, exactly. So think about how many first generation Asian Americans there are. Um, they need to hear from you. Uh, mm-hmm that it's much more than just representation by filling a blank or checking off a box, but it's actually, you get to bring their narrative into the light that perhaps you just don't hear enough of. And uh, that really inspired me. Cause I, I think in a lot of ways I was like, you know, America's fine. It doesn't really need me. Um, but then especially, Oh my goodness. I mean, you think about how prophetic that conversation is. I'm like, little did I know, um, that not only the public will be a lot more, uh, I guess, exposed to some of the dormant realities and histories mm-hmm. of specifically AAPI individuals in this country, um, but I think uh, even for for me myself, I was like, man, there's there's some microaggressions that were in there that I just, you know, I I, I didn't I didn't want to address. Um, <laughs> So part of the reason why the messy middle came to be was I, you know, it, it's kind of been a passion project in my heart for a while. Uh, one, I feel like I'm in between generations, mm-hmm. um, specifically in, in, in our church. Um, I'm turning 30 this year, so I feel connected to, obviously I'm millennial, you know, 
I love the millennials. So I am a millennial. Welcome. But I, I feel pulled by the Gen Zers, and I also feel pulled by uh, Gen X boomers, you know? So, uh, but I do feel a responsibility to uh, speak to both parties, um, especially as a minister of the gospel. But also, I'm, I'm an AAPI member. Uh, so, very often, especially in the history books and academia uh, that I grew up in, you only really hear about kind of the black, white um, yeah. challenges and struggles. And, uh, you know, not to the shame or perhaps to the shame of a lot of educators. Um, I do think it's, it wasn't necessarily on purpose for our stories to be uh, silenced. Mm. Uh, but I do realize I, I, I could feel like, man, actually, I am in the middle of all that. So thus the messy middle. Um, but the reality is Jesus is in the messy middle that he puts him, he places himself right in the epicenter of all of it. That he doesn't pick sides. He actually, um, everything revolves around him. Um, so I think, uh, yeah, so that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to kind of focus on narratives, uh, to help both people that are in the church, people who claim to be followers of Jesus, apprentices of Jesus, but also people that don't, um, just to know that, you know, disciples can be woke too. So yeah, yeah. most definitely, bro. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, you mentioned I could get, I could get this wrong because I can't, I can't hear out of my right ear. Um, you said you're first generation. Yeah, so I'm a first generation Filipino American. My my parents moved here the year I was born. So, yeah, the the impetus. Uh, it's funny. A lot of actually, uh, not to out them, but they uh, there's a long history of ever since actually post World War II. There's a long history of uh, the joke is you'll if you know a Filipino woman. Uh, chances are you know a nurse because um, a ton of Filipino women are nurses. Um, and, and basically that there, America, I, I don't know if you guys knew this, but the Philippines was a territory of the U.S. Right. Um, and uh, generally speaking, what they called, the Americans called Filipinos was they're like little island brothers and sisters. Um, so it was basically masqueraded as like being affectionate, but in reality, it was a conquering and democratization in and of itself. So basically there was a long history of that. My, my parents were also involved in that. My mom never wanted to be a nurse, but it was like, it was the only way it was being a nurse was an asset, um, to be able to come here. Mm. So that was, that was essentially why they came here, um, was to basically both provide, they call them OFWs or overseas Filipino workers, mm. uh, to both provide a better life for, um, us, I have an older brother, uh, but also send money back at home. So, mm, got you. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, can you uh, just take us through your experiences growing up with that type of background? As as far as you were born here, uh, but your parents weren't. So, yeah, that dynamic is special. Yeah, you know, like that's a not very many have that experience. Uh, can you take us through some of those experiences? Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was, so we lived in New York until I was 10 or 11. Mm -hmm. And actually during that time, that's when my parents, um, were actually reached out to by a woman who uh, was a follower of Jesus 
So uh, culturally speaking, they were Catholic. A lot of Filipinos are, uh, but then that's when they kind of shifted their uh, identity into just being kind of a cultural follower uh, versus being an actual follower. But uh, then we moved to Connecticut and that's really where I feel like I remember like what it felt like. That's when I recognized that I was Asian. A lot of, a lot of actually like Asian Americans would say this, they didn't necessarily realize they were Asian until there was a moment. Um, And uh, that moment slapped me right in the face uh, when I'll never forget, I was in fifth grade and there was a girl who told a friend of ours, hey, he's pretty cute for an Asian guy. Um, And then in that moment, I realized, oh, so that probably means I'm not like objectively cute. Obviously, I wouldn't think that way as a fifth grader, but Mm -hmm. there was a moment I was like, oh, I'm Asian, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, And what was challenging was that people equated that in Connecticut. Um, Again, Connecticut's predominantly white, you know, um, if you're black in Connecticut, especially during that time is like, you're, you know, probably an athlete. Um, So that was kind of the, yeah, it it was the, at least my perspective when I was growing up. Um, But I felt like this sense of, wow, people think Asian, they think Chinese, they think Japanese, they think, they have no idea what a Filipino is. So um, I wanted to disassociate myself from Asians because I felt like, well, Asians denotes really thin eyes. People would do this all the time. Like they would Mm -hmm. thin their eyes as a way to joke around, Um, you know, and then I'd hear all the jokes like, yeah, what's your last name? It probably sounds like a bunch of pots and pans, like being, you know, thrown on the floor. Chink, chink, blink, blink, you know. Uh, and so I think all of those kind of, mm. especially, I mean, y'all know, like growing up in elementary school and middle school, middle school is the worst. Kids are mean, bro. Kids are mean. Oh my gosh. And they're in, so mean, actually oddly like creative with their insults. So I was like, <laughs> like, how do you, how do you come up with this stuff? Um, so that was definitely something I felt where, I was like, because for me, um, and part of it was representation on the screen, you know, at the time people watched like seventh heaven, Dawson's Creek, um, boy meets world, stuff like that. I didn't see people at that were the main character that looked like me. Mm -hmm. Um, so I was like, man, because I want to disassociate myself from Asians, I'd lie. And I'd say, I'm like, um, I was from Hawaii because it felt a little bit more exotic. And that was when Johnny Tsunami came out on Disney Channel. And I was like, oh yeah, like he's a cool snowboarder, surfer guy. So- He's not really from Hawaii. Right, yeah. Which is, which is, yeah, part of like what influenced me. But um, then it shifted when I went to high school. And when I was in high school, I started to notice that instead of being um, kind of an alien, I was viewed more exotically. You know, it was like, oh, he's like mixed, you know, like he's got some, he got some flavor and, you know, kind of like the fetish. Fet- yeah, hundred okay. percent. It's like, wow, like there is this exoticism that he has. Um, and I, you know, played that to my advantage to a T um, where um, I was cool with everybody. I became friends with everybody. I code switched like it was, you know, nobody's business. And right, um, I l- love playing basketball. So with my you know, friends that were um, colored, 
black Puerto Rican, I code switch and speak a certain type of way. And then with my honors class friends that were white, I'm just like, you know, I look up words in the dictionary so I could just sound like them. So, you know, it was, it was a lot of that. So that's why it was so interesting when I became, a, uh, when I started, you know, following Jesus, it opened up a different door where I saw mm -hmm. diversity in a way that, oh, wow, every single person in here looks different. And we're not really talking about race, which is kind of a good thing. Um, mm -hmm. At the time, it was like, oh, wow, like, nobody sees race, right? Like, that's, that was the thing we celebrated. It's like, oh, yeah, you know, you're my brother, you're, you're my sister, yeah. doesn't matter what you look like. Mm -hmm. um, so I think in a lot of ways, because of the times, and because it was so clear to me, growing up in high school and middle school and elementary school that I was different. Mm. It was so refreshing to be part of something that I wasn't different. I was just me. Um, so that was, that was what it was like growing up. And obviously when I, uh, I moved to Philly uh, for college and that actually opened up a whole nother can of worms that changed everything as far as my perspective goes. But, you know, I could talk about a little bit about that later. Yeah, most definitely. Um, we want to hear that, bro. Uh, but yeah, so like elementary, so it's it's crazy because I shared, at least I believe I shared, like elementary school stories. I think I think I've shared elementary school stories. I'm sure you have. Well, check the record. <laughs> <laughs> Go back and listen to all of our episodes. Everyone. I know sure. I talked oh. about being teased in high in elementary school um, and stuff like that, but it's it's crazy to me to see the similarities mm -hmm. as well. Like you mm -hmm. talk about code, code switching um, and, you know, people making remarks, uh, you know, the, the uh, microaggressions is what the scholars call them. Yeah. Um, which we, we should do an episode on microaggressions. Or something. <laughs> we have so many episodes we need to get to. <laughs> no, is is there also an episode for macroaggressions scheduled? Yes. Now that you said it, yes. Now we All have right. to do two. All right, sounds good. Sounds <laughs> good. Um, uh, yeah. But it's just there's so many similarities, but at the same time, there's so many differences. Mm. So many differences at the same time. And I think what I remember from from growing up, um, because like I wasn't the only minority there. I was the only black kid growing up in elementary school, but there were a number of Asians. Um, in the class as well. Um, one, uh, I remember one kid was, he was Indian and the other kid was Japanese. Mm. Um, and they were first, they were born here. They were first generation Americans. And, you know, I, I remember what I got, but I don't speci specifically remember what they got <laughs> from mm. the kid, stuff like that. So, uh, yeah. yeah, that's just interesting, man. That's just interesting. There's a lot of things that I, I wish I would have asked about when I was growing up, you know? Mm. Um, are there are there any uh, aspects of your life where you notice that the either the microaggressions, your your fear of being identified as uh, Asian? Um, are there any is there anything that you notice now that is part of your nature? And then it would have looked totally different if you hadn't thought those things or experienced those things. Yeah, for sure. Um, one that I had a, my own pre preference and prejudice as well, that 
Um, I concluded because of a statement that a fifth grader said that Asians or in my mind, Chinese people, Japanese people, people with thin eyes are not attractive. Um, mm. So in my mind, actually, I, uh, I share about it in uh, one of the episodes. I manipulated my eyes. I'd furrow my eyebrows a lot because it made my eyes bigger. Um, so very small things where wow. I had to unlearn. I had to be okay with just having a relaxed face. But uh, people would ask all the time, like especially when I was, when I was in middle school, why, why are you always like, you know, you look like you're mad. I'm like, no, I'm not. It's just, that's just the way my eyes work, you know? Um, so even just seeing now where it's like, wow, like even, I mean, obviously with Instagram and, you know, social media culture, uh, I've had to kind of unlearn viewing it. Like, do I look too Asian in descent, you know? Um, and, uh, Whereas now it's so it's a lot different now where there's a what I'm really grateful for, which I didn't mention, is my parents really wanted me to know my culture. So they taught me how to eat the foods. They taught me the language that we watched Filipino television. But it was almost like a closeted guilty pleasure of mine rather than something I was proud of growing up. Mm -hmm. um, and that was until I, I moved to Philly, where I started to see some similarities of like my homeland in the Philippines, because I was super convicted when I went the first time as an older teenager, being able to see, all right, this is the struggle of a developing country. Um, people living in uh, homes built, built by landfill and things like that. And then when I went to Philadelphia and I was like, oh, wow, there's some similar struggles that those in the inner city go through. Um, it, it almost like unlocked this door for me to be just proud of being an Asian that actually um, I there's a there's a Chinese restaurant we used to go to. The owner was uh, his name was MJ and he was like the most like Philly dude as it gets. Um, and uh, he, he like you don't mess with MJ, but he was definitely Chinese, you know, like just Chinese and Philly John, like all together. So, uh, but I remember just talking about him and like, we actually like bond and just talking about our home, like the Philippines or him, China, um, and how much he missed it. Um, but how nobody really gets what it feels like to be a first generation. Cause he was also first generation Chinese American as well. So, um, so as far as it affects my nature, I think now I've seen the shift of, I'm a lot more proud of that identity and even accepting that I am a member of the AAPI community. It took me a long time. I would, I would actually probably say it, it took until I was probably 18 or 19, um, my first years in Philadelphia for me to actually embrace it, <laughs> embrace. Can I ask what, uh, what did that process look like for you? Yeah. Um, part of it was, yeah, as I mentioned, when I went back, I, so start, it was the beginning of middle school. I started going back to the Philippines every few years. And as I got more connected with home, I felt this convicted spirit in my heart where I was like, Oh wow. Like here I was trying to remove myself from that. Um, whereas I, I felt every time I was like, man, you know what? I'm, I'm actually a lot more proud to talk about my, my heritage. Um, but yeah, so when I went to move to Philadelphia, um, 
I started to notice uh, one, there just wasn't a lot of Filipino Americans in, in uh, Connecticut, but there were a lot more in Philadelphia when I was there. And I just remember what I felt when I'd see another Filipino American that was around my age. It's almost like we, we kind of got each other in ways that, like it didn't take that a lot, a lot of time, you know, like, the word, like you eat that too. Oh, step, yo, your mom's a nurse too. You know, like, it's just like a, um, and, but there was, but the, the feeling was that I felt seen. Um, and again, it, it wasn't, it wasn't negating the realities of the church. I think what I loved about the church was that I felt like, man, this is my truest identity in Christ. Right. The reality is I, there's a skin I wear and, uh, I just felt like for a long time that skin wasn't appreciated. Mm -hmm. um, so, um, and I just didn't see my skin represented, you know, um, that it was niche, you know, like I would e be easily confused with the next guy that looked like me, um, yeah. rather than, you know, I've seen it, you know, it's like if I mix Kelly Jane up with Jay, you know, like <laughs> they're definitely different people. But, but it's like, oh, cause they're both white, you mm. know, like all y'all look alike, <laughs> you know, it's like, come on. So, yeah. um, yeah. I think that process of just like seeing other people in my skin too, but we definitely mm -hmm. were different people and looked different, but had shared experiences. That was very, um, yeah, it was just uh reformative for me. So, yeah. Um, that actually brings me to another question that once, once you got around other Filipino Americans, uh, did you, did you ever have, did you ever find yourself struggling with that type of, um, dynamic to where you were primarily with, you know, white Americans or black Americans, um, but being around your own kind, did you feel that there was sometimes even also resistance within your own community as well? Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. I'm yeah. glad you asked that. Um, so I have family in the Bay Area, and the Bay Area is full, yeah. chock full of, wow. you know, uh, um, yeah. Asian Americans, but specifically Filipino Americans. There's uh, one city called Daly City that is, I think there's probably mainly Filipinos in that city. Um, but I remember going there, and then every time I go to the Philippines, um, I did feel the sense of, even the way I talked mm. was a bit different. Um, so I felt this need to like change my language and the way I talk and say the English language, you know, like I would talk like them, I'd code switch again yeah. um, to feel like, hey guys, like I'm part of you, you know? Um, but the ways that like I, when I was in the Bay one time, um, there was, yeah, Filipino American guy who was just like, but bro, you grew up in Connecticut like you know do you even you know like do you even know what it's like mm. um and you know he was joking but it was like he wasn't you know yeah. and even like that it was kind of like a backhanded comment for me where i was like yeah. trying to say i'm not actually filipino american you know um so you know things like that um and to be honest i was also that way with a lot of filipino americans too um I think, especially with guys that don't know the original language, mm -hmm. um, I have to watch myself. I actually, before the pandemic, I'd play um, pick up basketball on campus at University of Maryland a lot. Mm -hmm. And uh, I remember going against a team of Filipino guys 
And uh, this one guy just thought he was a lot better than he was. But, you know, you, you talk smack a little bit here and there. And, you know, I do it in good fun. Yeah. But then I was like, I, I remember I told him, I was like, yo, like, what province are you from? He's like, I don't even know. I don't know any of that. I'm like, like, you're going to call yourself Filipino? You don't even know where your province your parents are from? Get out of here, bro. And I, I apologized afterwards, you know, but, but I, you know, it's a thing, you know, it's like a, do you, do you know, like, do you know your heritage? Do you know your roots? Um, so thinking about that, that experience on the court and other moments like that, I can be judgmental myself. Uh, what I'm looking for is some sort of legitimate legitimizing of my experiences or of my heritage, which I'm, I'm really mixed. So it's really hard yeah. to track that. What were you thinking or feeling in, in, in experiences like that? Yeah. I, and this is, uh, when I was in Philadelphia, um, we did, um, Saturday Academy every week, which was awesome, but really just being able to invest in, um, yeah, the kids that lived in the inner city, um, mainly, um, black Americans. But, uh, one thing that I, uh, we, we were trained to receive people's pain, like, uh, through, um, or being able to discern people's anger or outbursts of anger as inward pain. Mm. Um, that there's something going on inside that they're projecting onto you that they haven't dealt with. Um, so don't take it personally, but try to discover. And that totally applies to me. Anytime I have an outrage or outburst, I think for me, and especially in that moment, I projected some of the hurt that I felt or my own um, uh or the assessments on me that right. were, oh, he's not legitimate onto somebody else that I felt more legitimate than, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so it's funny because I think when, when the identity is potentially being stripped away from you, you want to find every single um, avenue to be able to justify that you are, you know, like this is, yeah. you don't, you're not, you're not unaware, you know? Um, yeah. So but if you asked me 10 years ago, if I would have done that, I probably, or even yeah, 15, 20 years ago, I probably wouldn't have cared as much, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, but now I think that's the thing is, uh, the more, you know, and the more woke you are, I think the less gracious you end up being for those who aren't there. Um, and, uh, I've seen that both in my life, but I think, mm. I mean, even now it's, uh, we have to have this graciousness that, People are actually learning, you know? Yeah. So. Right. Hmm. Yeah. So um, interesting question. So uh, bringing it to like now in in light of the events that's taken place from January to now, I guess the what type of impact did that have on you? But I'm also interested to see what type of impact, like what type of lens is like your parents see this these things through hmm. um, as well, if you can share some of that. Yeah. So I think the uniqueness of the past couple of years, I've seen the AAPI community band together in ways that they probably haven't before. Mm. Whereas again, 10, 15 year old, uh, 10, 15 years ago, where I would have wanted to disassociate myself from other Asians, I actually feel more of a solidarity with them now than I ever did before. Mm. Um, cause there's so many similarities in our story. Um, but the one thing I'm really grateful for is actually, I think it's 
ex the exposure of uh, the lack of education mm. of the AAPI experience. Um, I think there's so many people that don't know right. that our history actually is very rolls very deep. And the first Asians that actually uh, settled in the United States were actually Filipinos, mm -hmm. which I didn't I wasn't taught that growing up. Yeah. Um, and the only you know, the extent of Asian American history that we're taught is internment camps during World War Two. Yeah. But even that it's watered down, you know, like it, it, it wasn't just inter like internment camps is such a, you know, lax way of saying no, there were concentration camps like they were. Yeah, they were designed to criminalize and also dehumanize those right. who looked like the assailants. Uh, there was Japan. also a number of legislation that was passed against Asian Americans as well. Yeah, like the uh, yeah the Exclusion Act, right? Which is an Act, the Page Act. Um, there was just a number of acts in legislation that was passed against immigrants. Yeah, um, and what they can and cannot do. But the the thing that I I, I felt, especially the past year and two years, is that imagine if that was part of our education system. Yeah. yeah. As part of our academia, how many little microaggressions would actually be dealt with before it gets to a place where a white man shoots up all these spas because yeah. of, you know, his own innate blaming sh or blame shifting of his lust um, with fetishization of Asian Americans or Asians in general? You know, like I, I do think there is there's a responsibility I think America has to take. Whereas like we've actually, we have failed <laughs> our yeah. youth. Um, so um, I think that's what I've, I think has been exposed is actually one, it, it always takes a bullet to expose a movement. Um, but I do think there is a, there's the positive that's come out of it is the support and solidarity. I've, I've gotten more phone calls about the skin I live in this past year than I ever have my entire life. Um, and I feel, I feel loved through it, you know? Um, yeah. And it's, it's also convicting even for our own people. Like any one of us that says like, we know it all. Um, it, you know, I, I wouldn't actually, I wouldn't trust that. I, I'd say a lot of us have actually had to learn a lot of our history again. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah. So I think as, as, that's that's kind of the immediate effect that I see. Um, and obviously, it's conjured up all these conversations, even a lot of people being aware that there is a an Asian American History Month, you know, <laughs> um, same thing with like Juneteenth. Uh, to be honest, I think before last year, I don't think a lot of people talked about Juneteenth. Uh, mm -hmm. So, um, so it's good. I think it's, uh, yeah, it's brought more solidarity, I think, with us than um, ever before. But it's also exposed that this has been going on for a really, really long time. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. So for our listeners, because they, you know, at least I hope our listeners listen to learn um, because that's our aim. You know, we talk about different subject matter yeah. uh, so they can learn from it and then hopefully uh they, they'll be inspired to either dig in more or to have conversations with people. Yeah. Um, so I guess what, what would you say for 
uh, I mean, because I, I know for one, our listeners don't know much about black history or the black sure. um, pers- you know, experience in America. So I guess what would you say, how would you help our listeners um, with, you know, their, you know, veil being down completely for Asian Americans? <clears throat> yeah. Uh, one, listen to a very special podcast called Embrace and uh, The Messy. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> Most definitely. Uh, no, I, you know, one it is our responsibility as a member of the AAPI community to one, educate, but also two, to be gracious and to be patient. Um, you know, and again, there, it's not like everybody in each community agrees with each other, uh, but there is a collected shared pain that I think requires listening. So I think get good at asking questions, um, get good at hearing stories and not responding, just, yeah. just listening. Um, because uh, I think that's a posture that really helps. Um, and I think as well as support local businesses that represent these cultures, it, it really is difficult, especially for niche uh, cuisine um, and uh, to, to get a supporting or to get a, uh, a, uh, a clientele. Um, and, uh, you know, if, a friend of mine who's a, a follower of Jesus in Philly, you know, he has a, he has a food cart called Tabachoy, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, but even what's cool is like, even for him, one of his visions is to unite a lot of the Asian American cuisine uh, in Philadelphia. And, uh, but even thinking like that, like look at, you know, local businesses that, and try new things and learn the history. Not don't just eat the food and appreciate it, but try to figure out like, hey, where does this come from? You know, what are some of the stories? Because, you know, in the same way, you know, everybody loves cheeseburgers uh, in America. I want to say everybody, but a lot of people like cheeseburgers in America. Maybe too many. Yeah, there is a nostalgia attached to that, right? Like I remember, wow. I remember growing up when I was five years old, driving through McDonald's and getting a Happy Meal. Uh, with that first cheeseburger, I remember the taste of it, but I also remember the toy I got with it. And that's part of my experience growing up here in America that I'm like, this is got this is awesome. Even though it's terrible for my arteries. It's just like, you know, I, this is nostalgia. This is sentimentality. Um, and how important that is to, to be able to hear that. Mm. Um, I'll recommend some books too. Um, so I think one of the best books on the construction of Asian America is uh, by a woman named Erica Lee. And she writes a book called The Making of Asian America. And essentially, it's like it goes from literally the early settlement days to the manifestation of um, Asian Americans today. So um, I think that's great. Uh, if, if you're a reader, if you're a dissector of, uh, of text, it's a good read. It's a thick read. Um, and yeah, I think even just looking for opportunities uh, to be able to celebrate that. Here's the other thing I'll say, though, is the reality is that um, I think sometimes the goal of communities is that, oh, we need to be super diverse. Mm-hmm. I think the reality is, and Dr. Loritz, who's a, uh, um, who is a speaker on a lot of race issues within the church, um, talks about this where imagine if you're in rural Kansas, the reality is you're probably not going to meet a lot of Asian Americans. Mm -hmm. Um, 
say you're, you're you know, Topeka, Kansas, whatever. Uh, it, it probably doesn't make sense to me. I, again, I haven't been to Topeka, so I could be wrong here, but it, it's also, you want to be a reflection of your community. So if you live in, you know, melting pot cities like Richmond, there's probably a lot of different kinds of people in Richmond. Right. Um, then, okay, like look for opportunities to be able to diversify your uh, friend group, but don't don't villainize yourself if you feel like, oh, I don't have enough Asian friends or I don't yeah, have enough right. black friends or whatever. Um, but it's just not like be good students of your communities. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you notice you're say you live in I, we're, I'm in the D.C. area, but all I'm hanging out with are people that look like me, sound like me, you know, like in D.C., I'm like, this is the most transient and probably representative. We are literally the United Nations in D.C. So I better get I better learn about Ethiopians. I better learn about those and the difference between West Africa and East Africa. You know, like, it's, right. so yeah. I think you've been getting good at knowing the place that you live. Um, so and not villainizing yourself if you don't have a diverse friend group. So, yeah, yeah. I love that. Um when you talk about like businesses, a lot of communities are built around businesses. Yeah, um, we saw that, and um, when we talked about um, South, yeah, yeah, so yeah, one community around that business, and there's a couple mixes there, but that's that's really important for people in their local communities is to embrace the the I guess the makeup around that. Yeah, yeah. Yep, yep. I think that's just such a beautiful, I don't know. I think that activism can just like feel like a lot of pressure and feel really high strung and like nothing is ever going to get better, but it's just a really beautiful way to embrace your community. I think to enjoy the food and enjoy the stories behind it. Like you were saying with the nostalgia, like I'm sure that certain dishes have stories with them and meaning and significance and i don't know i love food that's just a really big thing for me in my life so yeah that's an exciting way for me to feel like this is something i can do to help my community and get involved that doesn't make me feel like i have to like i don't know step in front of a train or something yeah yeah i mean how cool it is is it that you can eat a food and be an advocate at the same time you know beautiful Uh, that's pretty sweet right there i mean it's it's uh it's prophetic in the sense of and i know not everybody listening would be you know our followers of jesus but i think that's the very crux of community in the scriptures is that there's a table and god wants as many people at that table as possible to eat um you know i i love this story there's a story of methibosheth it's probably one of the most like confusing names in the bible but yeah, he's a described as a lame guy, you know, essentially, you know, one with exceptional needs. But it's cool. You got the dignitary David who invited Mephibosheth to the table. You have a place to eat here. Um, but even that, what require, you know, I, I think for us, even the visual is like, man, what better of a place to advocate for one another than the dinner table uh, where everybody eats, everybody eats everybody's food, you know? Right. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. Right, right. Well, thank you so much, man. Thank you so much for uh, your time and 
your uh, wisdom. This isn't the only, this isn't the first, you know, this is the first time, this ain't the last time. Right. We, we plan to have a connection between our, our pods, but um, I definitely wanted to uh, highlight a couple of things for our listeners uh, before we get out of here. Um, and obviously we, uh, we always have to share the word of God. Mm-hmm. And um, because that is, that is the power and the instructions on how we ought to live. You know, we, we don't just come on our pods and just, you know, tell you things that we thought of. I didn't think of any of this uh, at all, but I, I bow to it. Um, I listen to it. I learn from it. And uh, we do our best to try to follow it. Um, you know, Noah brought up a great um, point about a table uh, with a, a whole bunch of different people. Um, and it's God's table. Um, so if you're listening, understand that you 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 have an invitation to this table, but you will will look around and there'll be a whole bunch of different people that don't look like you. They don't talk like you. They don't sound like you. But what it is, is a community. And I think we as a country have lost our touch with what community is, and how important it is to be in community with each other. Um, I'm going to share... Uh, 1 Corinthians 12. Um, I'm going to start in verse 12 as well. It says, The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles. For the sake of this podcast episode, some of us are black, some of us are white, some of us are Asian, some of us are, uh, you know, other things. Right. Uh, Jay, Jay has red hair. That, that makes him special. Yes. Jay is very special. Jay, thanks, you thanks, thanks, guys. I didn't I didn't need that today, but thank you. <laughs> you are very special. Uh, but back to the passage. Uh, but we have all been baptized into one body by one mm-hmm. spirit. And we all share the same spirit. Yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. If the foot says, I am not part of the body because I am not a hand, that does not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear says, I am not part of the body because I am not an eye, would that make it any less part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? Hmm. Or if the whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? Our bodies have many parts and God has put each part just where he wants it. How strange a body would be if it only had one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. Mm. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. We have to understand that we are one community, but with many different people inside of it. One person can't say to the other person, I don't need you. We we all, those of you listening, those of on this podcast episode right now, we all have to get back to understanding that we need each other. I know we like to, I know we like to think that we don't, but we need each other. Those of you who you work with, your boss, the people that work under you, the people that live next door to you, the people that cut you off when you're driving. The people that hold up the line at the McDonald's and the, and the Starbucks. Yeah. We know. In the Starbucks? <laughs> we, we need 
each other. And we have to start treating each other like we need each other. Mm-hmm. We have to. Otherwise, these things will continue. We love you guys. Thank you so much for rocking with us. Make sure that you follow us on the social medias, Facebook at Embrace Podcast or on Instagram at Embrace underscore podcast. Make sure you hit Noah, you can plug your own show. Go ahead, bro. Yeah, no, definitely hit up Embrace uh, first. And then uh, you could you could search the messy middle with Noah Mata on any of your podcast platforms, Spotify, Apple, all of it. And then I actually put all the kind of video content on my personal IG, which is fact of the Mata. Solid. Hit it up. Hit it up. Most definitely. We love you guys. Thank you so much for rocking with us. Peace. Thank you.